Return to the Word is made possible by faithful supporters like you. Find out more at returntotheword.com. Welcome to the broadcast ministry of Return to the Word with Pastor Mark Fontecchio, advancing the message of God's amazing grace through the teaching of God's Word. And now, here is pastor and author Mark Fontecchio. In 1872, the famous American preacher, D.L. Moody, went to England not to preach. Sometimes when you're in the ministry, it's nice to just take a Sunday off and not preach. And he had one of those times where he just wanted to go listen to some other people preach, to get fed the Word of God on his own. One Sunday morning, He was asked to preach in a London pulpit, but things were not right. Things were just off. You can kind of tell when things aren't flowing. He said afterwards that he had a very hard time preaching that day. Just wouldn't connect. Things were difficult for him. And everything in the church seemed dead. That happens even in a good church. Some Sundays are just dead. He said to himself, what a fool I was to consent to preach. I came here to listen, and I made the mistake. Here I am preaching. And then he had this awful thought. I've had this awful thought. He had this awful thought that he had to preach again that night. Then what do you do? And it was only because he had given his word that it kept him faithful to preaching on that evening. But when Moody stepped into that pulpit on that evening, something was different. Something changed. There was a fire there. And he faced the congregation, and everything was completely different. He said, quote, The powers of an unseen world seem to have fallen on the audience. And the evangelist concluded his message giving a gospel invitation. He was very direct. He was very simple. He wasn't exaggerated. He didn't give 20 stanzas of just as I am. He didn't have to go on and on with an altar call forever. All he said at the end after explaining the simple and clear gospel message of Jesus Christ was this. If there's a man or woman here tonight who will receive Jesus Christ, please stand up. And about 500 people stood up. A dead service can feel like a funeral. A dead service can feel like a death march. But something was different that night. So what changed? Well, here's the story behind the story. Here's what changed from the morning service when Moody preached at the first service. There was a woman in the congregation who had an invalid sister at home. And when she returned home after the morning service, she told her homebound sister that a Mr. Moody, a D.L. Moody from Chicago had preached the morning service. The sister at home was overcome with emotion by this. She was ecstatic. She was excited by this. She had read about him and she had been praying for God to send this man to send him to London to preach at their church. She asked that her meal be taken away from her so that she could fast. She asked to be left alone in the afternoon so that she could spend the whole afternoon and evening in prayer for this service. And so it was on that Sunday night 
when D.L. Moody preached that something was completely different in that church with 500 people coming to know the Savior. I'll tell you what, it's easy to get discouraged about prayer. If you are a Christian, it's very easy to be discouraged about prayer in your own life. It's something that the strongest of Christians wrestle with. It's very common. The world isn't changing for the good. Have you noticed that? The world is not getting better. The world has not changed for the better. It's getting worse. When we studied Revelation, it taught us that the world must unite in its depravity so that the Antichrist can come into center stage and take over. So we asked the question, is it worth it to pray for better days ahead? I look around the world. I like to follow global news, especially Christian global news. I like to see what's going on with missionaries around the world. I like to see what our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world are going through. I look at places like India, and I look at places like North Korea or Thailand or China, and countless billions of people around the world will never hear the gospel of Jesus Christ before they die. Billions of people will never hear the gospel. So is it worth it to pray? Is it worth it? Because I don't know about you, but I have prayed many, many times for Christ to work in these distant lands. But yet I turn on the news and all I see are socialists and communists. And you know the difference, right? A socialist is just a teenage communist. That's all it is. <laughs> socialists and communists taking over the world. That's all I see. Denying freedom for the Christian faith and driving people into poverty so they can control you. 24 years of ministry has taught me that about half of the people in the church, in any church, in this church, last church I pastored, any church, church down the road, about half of the people in the church are going to come when they feel like coming. But they never grow in their faith. They never live up to the potential that they have in Christ. So is it worth it for me to pray for them? Because nothing changes some people. When I look in the scriptures, I see the absolute sovereignty of God. And the scriptures teach me the same thing that my heart already knew. That not every man, not every woman will come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So then let me ask you, does it do any good to pray for the eternal souls of other people. I'll tell you one person who thought so. My mom thought so. For 21 years, every single night of her life, she testifies that she prayed for my eternal salvation. And the grace of God came into my life and changed a man with a testimony that was on par with John Newton, that was on par with the apostle Paul before Christ. I know who I was before Christ. You don't have to convince me of my sin. And I know this. I am thankful that I had a mother that loved me enough to pray for my salvation. So let me ask you this. Does it do any good to pray for other people? Does it do any good to pray for the people in your life that you care about who just keep running and running and running away from God? Paul has some answers for us this morning. So would you join me in 1 Timothy 2, where Paul starts our text with verse 1 by saying this, Therefore, I exhort 
He says, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. What I want you to consider this morning is that without diminishing the sovereignty of God and his work, Paul stated in this text that the top priority of the church is to pray. Well, we don't think of it like that, do we? But the top priority of the church of Jesus Christ is to pray. Chapter 2 of 1 Timothy is all about how we as a church are to come together and worship It's almost like God wrote it down for us. Here it is in his book. This was the instruction for Timothy to carry out in the church at Ephesus. This is what worship according to God is supposed to look like. So let's be specific this morning. Let's care enough to understand about what God is telling us. Now, Paul is not talking just about four types of prayer. He's talking about supplications, prayers, and intercessions. These are all referring to the same thing, corporate prayer in the church, as a church, as the body of Jesus Christ. And these are different aspects of that corporate prayer. See, I hope prayer together as the body of Jesus Christ is at the top of your list why you got up this morning and came to church because it was for the Apostle Paul. He says the most essential part of public worship is prayer. He says, I exhort, I urge you, lead them in prayer, Timothy. Lead them in prayer. There's a reason why on Wednesday nights we normally do these little prayer groups all around the church. And we pray, and we pray for everything that we can think of. We pray because it unites us together in our relationship with God. Lead them in prayer. Supplications, our requests. But it's more than just being like a toddler in your faith. It's more than just listing out, Lord, I'd like a new car. Lord, I'd like a new house. Lord, I'd like this, this different job, or whatever it is. It's more than just a wish list like he's Santa Claus or something of all the things that we want. It's our deep desire and sense of need before God. That's what it's about. Understanding how majestic, how powerful, how great our God is, and how tiny and frail, and needy, and dependent upon him that we are. Paul is telling us something specifically. He's saying that God has a listening ear, that God hears our prayers. God has a listening ear for the believer in Christ reconciled to him by faith. Paul mentions prayer as talking to God as part of the body of Christ in worship. Intercessions, now people think of this just as petitions, but the Greek word carries the idea of a conversation. That's huge. That should be so important. Why? Because if we have fellowship with God, what is prayer? It's simply talking with God. It's talking with God. Prayer should be a conversation with God. That's absolutely beautiful. That warms my heart, that the God of heaven is available 24-7. He's never closed. He's always there waiting to hear from his people. 
boldly coming into the throne of grace, talking with the creator, because prayer is worship of him. It's a life lived in fellowship with God for the believer in Jesus Christ. And then Paul says, giving of thanks, because we are deeply aware of his infinite grace, his infinite mercy and provision in our lives. When we thank God for what he has done for us in the past, when we look at our lives and think of all the things he's done for us and the grace of God at work in our lives, it strengthens our faith to believe that he's going to absolutely meet our needs in the future. I think we're going to spend all of eternity praising God, thanking God, worshiping God in heaven. Get used to it because it's going to be wonderful. I think when we stand before God in glory, this is part of what we'll do. We'll give thanks and we'll do it more deeply than we could ever do here and now because we'll know just how much he's done for us. You know, just as like a child doesn't fully know what his or her parents have done for them. So it is with us. We'll understand. We'll appreciate God's grace so much more when we stand before him in glory. But look at what Paul says at the end of verse 1 and in verse 2. He says, these prayers are to be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Now, this is a bold text. This is a strong text. Pray for everyone. Pray for all men. Pray for the fallen people of this world. Because why? Well, Paul was combating the Jewish teachers who were saying that the Christian faith is exclusive to them. But the gospel, it's not limited to one nation. This was the type of thinking that made William Carey so mad when his church leadership told him at the time, young man, if God is going to convert the heathen, he'll do it without your help or ours. And that response drove him out of that church and on to India where he became the father of modern missions. Sometimes you need to step out of organized religion and follow Christ. Paul says, pray for kings and all who are in authority. The man considered king at the time was the Roman Emperor Nero. Study about him. He was a wicked man, a very wicked man, a madman. I'm not talking like madman like Angie thinks I'm a madman. I am a little off in the head. I understand that. I'm talking an honest madman, a, a serial killer, a monster. Having been released from being in prison, Paul could see the political conditions in the Roman Empire going in a bad direction, just as we could see the United States of America going in one bad direction. Nero is the same man that would later put both Paul and Peter to death. He is the man who would butcher the Christians in public, burning them, feeding them to lions. So what does this mean? This means... We pray for our president, even though he's a fraud. This means we pray for whoever comes next, no matter how liberal, how communist they are. We don't have to accept their agenda. We don't have to accept their definition of truth, but we do need to pray for them. Why, Paul? Why do we have to pray for them? Why do we have to pray for someone who wants to tax us to death, destroy this nation and everything that it stands for? Why do I have to pray for someone who wants to push their atheistic and communistic and God-hating agenda on my life? Paul says specifically, 
We pray that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Because the right we have to be here today, right now, the right we have to gather in public in the name of Jesus Christ is something that is dying in this land. I hear from Christians all around this country almost every single day that tell me they do not have the freedom that we have right now to sit here because they're being limited. The right we have, it can be snuffed out even here in Meadow Lakes, Alaska, even in this land. That right is hanging by a thread. And so we pray for our leaders if we're smart. We pray for our leaders to keep our freedom. And Paul didn't say, hey, you know what, Christians? Pray for peace so we can live like selfish pigs. He didn't say that. Although I do like pig. I love bacon. Yeah. He said, pray so we can live in peace. So we can live our lives unto the glory of Jesus Christ, under the glory of God. Because when we pray for them, we're showing that we believe that the ultimate king is the son of David, the great I am, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is in control no matter what happens here now in this country. It's the echo of the words of Daniel written so long ago from Daniel chapter 2, where Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. And He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings and gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And then in Proverbs 21.1, another timeless verse that says the king's Heart is in the hand of the Lord like the rivers of water. He turns it wherever he wishes. See, we pray for our leaders, but inherent in the text is the idea that we're also to pray for the salvation of men. We pray knowing that, yes, God is sovereign. We pray because it invites God to work on our behalf. And if prayer was useless, we would not see Paul write these words here. But instead, we see in places like James 4, 2, speaking of prayer, very convicting words, yet you do not have because you do not ask. And he's not talking about a big boat and a nice house or a brand new car. There are things that we can have from God that we will not have unless we ask. But it needs to be the things that God wants for us. And that is a convicting thought. So Paul says, pray for all kinds of people, believers and unbelievers. We pray so that we can live for his purpose, the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here is what this means, Pioneer Baptist. It means if we want to become effective ambassadors for the gospel of Christ, we need to start here. We need to start with prayer. Prayer for the community of Meadow Lakes. Prayer for our loved ones. Prayer for our leaders in this country. Prayer for this church. I hope you're praying for me every day. I invite you to get up in the morning and pray for me because I'm trying to lead us all to a closer walk with Jesus Christ. Please pray for me. Please pray for my wife and my family. Pray for our leaders. Pray that God's love and grace would work in us. We don't pray for peace in this land just so we can be lazy or just so we can be comfortable. We pray so that we can use the peace given to us to advance the gospel, to worship Christ, to glorify God. 
Remember what we saw in Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for just some things. No. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And again, from Colossians 4.2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving. You know, what is prayer? Sometimes we have a hard time wrestling with what is prayer. Well, prayer is uniting our thoughts and heart with God. If we don't like it, when we come together as a church and pray, something's wrong. See, something's wrong. If we don't want to come together with our brothers and sisters in Christ and talk with God, the God who saved us, the God who created us, then something's wrong. We have a responsibility to pray because we're engaged in the most important thing in the world. We're engaged in the worldwide mission of glorifying God by the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which is why Paul tells us, starting in verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Do you guys know who this is? Besides a guy with a really bad beard? That's Thomas Huxley. He was a famous agnostic from the 1800s. He was the bulldog. He was the enforcer. He was the bulldog that advocated Darwin's theory of evolution. And as far as we know, he never put his faith in, in Jesus Christ, but he did experience some degree of conviction. See, here's what happened. Towards the end of his life, Huxley was a guest at a retreat in a country home. And Sunday morning came. And most of the guests got up and went to church. They did that back then. They went to church. It's an amazing thing. Huxley did not go. That's pretty obvious. But instead, what did he do? Well, he approached a man known to have a simple and radiant Christian faith. Not the most educated man, but just a simple man with a very radiant faith. And Huxley said to him, suppose you don't go to church today. Suppose you stay at home and you tell me quite simply what your Christian faith means to you and why you are a Christian. Can you answer that? Can you? The man protested, but you could demolish my arguments like that. In an instant, I'm not clever enough to argue with you. See, I would have that same problem. I'm the guy who thinks of the correct answers 10 minutes later, 10 minutes down the road. That's me. I'm clever later, not in the moment. So the man said, I don't want to argue with you. I just, I, I'm not clever enough. And Huxley gently replied to him, says, I don't want to argue. I just want you to tell me what this means to you. Who is Jesus Christ? And the man stayed, and the man talked with him. And when they were finished, you know what that simple testimony of faith did? It led Huxley to cry and have tears in his eyes because he was convicted by this man's simple faith in Jesus Christ, simple love for the Savior who bought us and died for us. Isn't that enough? See, when we pray for all men, when we live a godly life centered in Jesus Christ, Christ, what do we do? We bring the world under conviction. And boy, does this world need conviction. It needs it bad. 
Paul says in verse 3, praying for all men is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Meaning, when we pray for all men, we're agreeing with God. Some people that you know will never let you talk to them about Jesus Christ. They'll shut the conversation down like that. They don't want to hear it. But you can pray for them. They can't do anything about that. They can't stop you from praying for them. Paul prayed for the lost. Do you guys remember from Wednesday night? Some of you were here. And he said in Romans 10, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Paul was praying that the unbelieving nation of Israel would be delivered from the wrath of God. So when we come across a lost soul, we can still pray for them. We can pray for them even though we don't know what God's plan is. Pray something like this. This is what you do when you have a lost soul. You say, Lord, I don't know the plans you have for this man or this woman, and I don't know if this person's heart will turn to you in faith or not, but God, if it is your will, please use me for your glory. Use me to tell this person about Jesus Christ. That's all I can control. I can tell them about you. Use me. Pray for lost souls and make yourself available to share the gospel of Christ. Some of you aren't even available to share Christ. I'm thinking of the words of 1 John 5 where we are told this. Now this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, keywords, he hears us. God's not silent in the scriptures about what he wants. He's not leaving us guessing. He wants us to pray. He wants his people to talk with him. It's not so hard. We pray because God wants that relationship with us. Maybe the person we pray for never comes to know Jesus Christ, but praying for them still changes us. And that's the lesson. Praying for other people still changes us. Now, our text in verse Four of Timothy is not telling us that every person on the earth is going to be saved. God isn't thinking this is going to happen, and so neither should you. This is telling us this, that God has a heart for the people he created. God has a love for his creation. What does Christ tell us specifically in John 3.18? He says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now, the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to save all men, absolutely, but not all men will be saved. Because in the fallen condition of man, men reject God. That is what we do. That is Romans 1. We reject the Creator over and over and over and over again because we're prideful, arrogant, created beings. Men reject the only path to salvation in Jesus Christ, and so they stand condemned. Now, God doesn't take joy from the condemnation of any man. We can take great comfort from knowing that he is sovereign, he is loving, he is kind, he is gracious, and we can rejoice in the rich salvation so freely given to us as the bride of Jesus Christ. Amen. Verse 4 in Timothy lists out the goal. Salvation and coming to the knowledge of the truth. But nowhere, hear this carefully, nowhere in the book of Timothy does Paul use the expression to save to refer to gaining eternal life. In looking at the context, look at what Paul connects with it. Knowledge of the truth. This is actually God wanting us to grow after we are saved. That's what he's talking about here. 
growing in the knowledge of truth. And so I believe that how Paul is using this term saved here, Paul has in mind the idea of spiritual well-being of individuals. That certainly starts with eternal life. You can't grow in your faith until you are actually one of his. Okay, but it also includes the idea of the desire of God for us to live in that fellowship with him and know the truth of Jesus Christ, not just the truth of the gospel, but the truth of his holy word. So these next two verses in Timothy are some of the most important words in the entire New Testament. Watch what Paul says in verses five and six. He says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. First of all, what does it say? There is one God and all men in all time are responsible to him. This is a basic doctrine of the Christian faith. There's one God. The Jews believe this. Christians believe this. But here comes the difference. We believe there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. You may remember from the Old Testament that Job, he cried out so long ago in despair in his relationship with God. He said this, nor is there any mediator between us. But who's the answer to that? Jesus Christ. He's the answer to that, to this ancient cry for help. And in John 14, 6, the Lord himself said on the night before a sacrifice on the cross, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That is a key verse in your understanding of Christian doctrine. Buddha cannot help you. Muhammad cannot help you. Jesus Christ is the only path to God. Christ and Christ alone brings us to the Father. A mediator restores the peace. He restores the relationship. And this is what Christ did when he died for us. Now there can be peace between us and God. Christ has closed the gap between God and man. He crossed the separation that kept us apart from God with one foot planted in eternity and one foot planted in time. The eternal son of God became the son of man. And across this bridge, is the man, Christ Jesus. So by faith, we can come into the very presence of God, knowing that we are accepted because we have a mediator. Christ gave himself a ransom for all. He took our place, became our redemption. He paid the price. It is the price he paid to free us so that we no longer have to be enslaved to sin. This means we belong to him. He purchased us. He bought us. Christ died for all. The Greek text here is saying Christ died on behalf of all, but only those who receive him by faith are set free from the shackles of sin. It's a testimony given in its proper time. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ took place at God's appointed hour, exactly when God wanted it to happen. God himself is holy, perfect, sinless, but we are by nature's sinners. Read Romans 1 if you don't believe it to be true. And a holy God cannot embrace sinners any more than light can embrace darkness. So for hundreds of years, the Hebrew people sacrificed animals to God in order to maintain a right relationship with him. The sacrifices reminded them that sin has consequences and that only the spilled blood would be enough to cover the sins of the people. But even this was not the complete plan of God. 
In due time, he sent his son to be the final sacrifice, to pay for our sins, past, present, and future. Isn't that a glorious truth? All your sins have already been paid for. The sins that glory to God. The moral nature of God meant that he could not overlook our sins. He couldn't just ignore them. The penalty had to be paid. That's exactly what Christ did. He is the only mediator. Angels, hear this, do not mediate for us. Get that out of your head. Hollywood would have you believe that. And Christians who have died and gone before to heaven, do not talk to God on your behalf. Christ is the mediator. He gave himself. There's no greater sacrifice that could be given. And our sin meant we are separated from God, but he put his life up on the cross. He took our death and paid our price for us. So that by faith in his sacrifice and reconciliation and through him, we can be reconciled to holy God through his resurrection. To experience both his, his love, his forgiveness, and his grace. Everything we have in the Christian faith rests on the work of Jesus Christ. Without it, we do not have faith in him. That's why in verses 5 and 6, Paul is telling the church how to pray to God, how it's even possible. And Paul knew this was his ministry. He tells us in verse 7, he says, For which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm speaking the truth in Christ, and I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. See, we now have access to the throne of heaven, giving us that ability to even pray. Well, back, there was a commercial on TV. I don't know if you guys ever saw it. Did you ever see that Mercedes-Benz commercial on TV where it shows the car colliding with the cement wall during a safety test? And someone then asks the spokesman why they don't enforce their patent where the car is designed specifically to absorb the energy from the impact, a design that went to be copied by other companies because of how well this design worked. And the answer comes in the commercial from the spokesman that they do not enforce the patent because some things in life are too important not to share. Nothing could be more true when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm so adamant about the gospel. I don't know what we're doing if we're not sharing the gospel. See, a lot of Christians have this mindset, well, I'm in. I'm in. God saved me. I'm in. I'm good. But you're not even concerned about sharing the gospel. I say shame on us. This is what drove the Apostle Paul in his entire life. He says, for the purpose of giving this witness, Paul was appointed. He was placed to be a preacher and apostle. In Acts 26, Paul said this about his mission from God. He said that Christ had told Paul, I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. To, why? To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul had he'd been put into service, into the ministry by the direct revelation of God. Paul says, I'm speaking the truth. I'm just telling the truth and I'm not lying because some of the people then were challenging his authority. Paul had been given the work of being a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And he was one of the greatest witnesses for the faith 
that the church has ever seen. This man is Murdo McDonald. He lived a long time ago. He was a prisoner of war in Germany, and he was a chaplain to American soldiers. And he once told the story of how he learned of the Normandy invasion of France by the Allies. See, it was early on D-Day, and he was awakened, and he was told that a Scotsman in the British prisoner of war camp wanted to see him. And the Germans kept him separate in these camps. So MacDonald ran to the barbed wire that separated the two camps, and the Scot was in touch with the BBC with an underground radio, a hidden radio that they had. And he spoke just two words in Gaelic to MacDonald, meaning this, basically this, they have come. They've come. MacDonald ran back to the American camp, and they spread the news. They've come. They've come. And with those simple words, everyone in the camp magically knew it spread throughout the camp that the Allied troops had landed at Normandy. And the reaction was incredible. Men jumped, men shouted, men hugged each other. They even rolled around on the ground together. Outwardly, they were still captives. But inwardly, that news, that precious good news had set them free. That's the hope that changes life because Jesus rose from the dead. That's the hope we have. And Christians, I don't know what struggles you have today. I don't know what struggles you are facing in your life, but I am here to tell you that you are free today because Jesus has overcome death, hell, and the grave. And the more that we understand this freedom, the more we depend on God's truth and the inward reality of the work of Christ in our lives, the more we will depend on God and the more that we will pray. See, prayer is not something that can be forced outwardly. It shouldn't be something that's forced outwardly. It is to be prompted by the inner conviction of the heart, by the Holy Spirit within. God showing us through the word both the importance and the need to pray. So what do we pray for? We pray that people come to the Father through Jesus Christ, his son. That's a good place to start. That Jesus is the only way to the Father and the only way to eternal life, and people need to go to the Father through him. Pray that people find freedom through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Pray that people trust Jesus can release them from the bondage of sin. See, there's people all around us in bondage to all sorts of things. We see it every day in this state, to alcohol, to drugs, destroys countless families. There's people in bondage to pornography, which destroys any chance of having a healthy and happy marriage. There are people who are angry, unable to forgive someone with bitterness, eating them away on the inside. There are people all around us without integrity, unable to keep their word filled with self-righteous pride because the people that God has put into our lives are in bondage to sin and it's destroying their lives at every single level. It's no wonder the world is a mess. They don't have Jesus Christ. People without Christ are within bondage, but Jesus Christ is in the business of giving freedom. And we're to start praying for them. 
So if you want to be an effective ambassador for Jesus Christ, start there. Start with prayer. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Find time in your life to pray for the lost souls set before you. You have no idea what God's going to do. You don't. But you can know that the right thing to do is to talk to God about it. You can pray. You can pray for their souls. Pray for our leaders. Please pray for our leaders. Leaders here in the church, but pray for the leaders of this country. Pray so that we can keep living in peace. I don't care if we live in peace financially, economically, as much as I do that we have peace to meet here as a church, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and to share the word of God. Pray that God is going to give you opportunities to share the gospel. You want opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Don't come along and say, woe is me. No one ever comes to talk to me about the gospel. I dare you. I double dare you. Pray for opportunities to share Jesus Christ and just watch out. Watch out. You better go get some gospel tracts on your way out of the church because you're going to be busy, very busy. But a lot of us don't have the guts to pray for that because we're too selfish. Ask God to use you. Ask God to use you. The church of Jesus Christ is weak because we're weak. Ask God to use you, to lead others. Paul's sole purpose in life was to see men and women set free from their sin. That was his first priority. I hope it's yours. This should be the priority that we start each day with. So make that change in your life. Start each day in your life praying for God to use you. You know, the first thing I do every morning is I listen to the word of the day from Webster's Dictionary, and I learn some strange words, and then I listen to the news, and then I pray because I was convicted by this, the priority of prayer. Then I pray. Start each day in your life with prayer. It's a glorious way to start and end each day with prayer. I fall asleep praying. It's a wonderful thing to fall asleep in the hands of the Savior. If you can't sleep at night, maybe you need to pray. Pray for God to open the doors for us to be ambassador for Christ. If we could unite this church for this purpose, I know this, we'd be on the side of God. And we'd be able to stand on the side of the road of history and look back at the powerful work that God did through us. So give God the glory. Wake each day with the intentional attitude of praying for others because I think the closer the walk we have with God, the deeper down this road he will take us. Concerned about his work, concerned about his truth, focused on sharing his message of freedom in Christ. And so we end with the words of Paul from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he says this. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Return to the Word Ministries is committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word and the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more about our ministry, please visit returntotheword.com. Return to the Word is a faith ministry. This means we freely distribute the teaching of the Word of God over the air and online. We do this without charge. If you feel led to support the ministry with a donation to help cover these costs, you may do so on our website, returntotheword.com, or by mailing a donation to Return to the Word, P.O. Box 879-259, Wasilla, Alaska, 99687. 
Thanks for listening, and we pray that the Word of God will be a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Join us next time for another edition of Return to the Word.